0: Oh God, with the music ringing in our ears and echoing within our hearts, we come before you bringing you glory and honor for who you are, and we're grateful that we can give back to you a portion of that which you've bestowed to us so that beautiful music can be sung in this place, but more importantly through our lives so that others will come to know the joy of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated, and coming before you is the best preacher in this place. Look how he's dressed up. Listen, when you keep the bar low most of the time, it doesn't take a whole lot to impress. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that I'm dressed. <clears throat> so this is uh, one of those Sundays between the music that you've already offered and hearing children say happy birthday to Jesus. I feel like my job is just not to mess it up <laughs> because we, we could invite you back up and experience what you have are gifting us with and, and pray and go home. But I believe that There's such a good, hopeful word uh, for us this morning. So if you would, if you're able to stand, if not, then in the posture of your heart, uh, in honor of the reading of God's word, would you please stand with me? This is from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf. Unstopped, Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In one of our great hymns of the season, we sing these words with a sense of great hope and triumph. Joy to the, to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. It is a hymn of such hope and such promise. And when we sing these words in a couple of weeks veiled in candlelight that represents for us the light that the darkness cannot extinguish, extinguish, we believe for that moment that joy has truly entered the world, that all that is sad has fled, and that this is the way that things were intended to be. In that moment, joy is. And all that is right seems unshakable. And yet it does not take long for the realities of the trouble of this world to come crashing back in. And for many of us, as much as we would like to cling to those words of that great hymn, Joy to the World, they begin to feel like a wisp, like a whisper on the wind, reminding us of a time that we long for, reminding us of a time that we pray will come, and yet it seems fleeting and perhaps the words of Ray LaMontagne's song, Trouble, from his debut album in 2003 feel a little bit more at home to us. Trouble, 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 been dogging my soul since the day I was born. Worry, 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 just will not seem to leave my mind alone. Trouble, oh trouble, 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 Feels like every time I get back on my feet, she comes around and knocks me down again. Worry, oh worry, 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 worry. Sometimes I swear it feels like this worry is my only friend. And as much as we might hear those words, and maybe you hear those words, and you're like, yeah, that's just a Tuesday for me. Because it's hard for me to escape the worry and the trouble and the fear and the confusion that exists and is a reality in this world in which we live. The beauty of the season of Advent is that it gives us an opportunity. In fact, it calls us to be honest about our trouble and our worry. This thing that we try so hard to hide from the world around us. We have become almost perfect at presenting to the world a polished exterior, A life that is all put together and yet the season of Advent says don't waste your time. Because in order for us to truly appreciate the hope that exists in the season of Advent and the hope that the season of Advent promises us, it requires us to be honest about the trouble and the pain and the worry and the brokenness that exists in this world and the ways that it affects us. Because without an honesty of our great need for something worth hoping in, we find that Advent offers us little more than the marking of another season. As we turn this morning to Isaiah chapter 35, we find within these words from the prophet Isaiah a hope. In fact, it is a gospel hope written for a people nearly 3,000 years ago. The promise of something, someone who was to come, a promise that still stands for us today. This promise in Isaiah 35 was written to the Israelites in the 8th century B.C. And this promise exists because what Isaiah had, has told them and has shared with them from the heart of God up to this point was a reality that would cause them great worry. See, these people were living in the land that God promised them. They were experiencing the promises of God, and yet, like so many of us do, they grew grew weary. They grew impatient with God continuing to fulfill for them the things that God said that he would fulfill, and in their weariness and in their growing tired of, of living in a way that was reflective of the way that God called them to, of following the law, not because God is a killjoy and doesn't want his people to enjoy good things, but God called his people to live in a way that was set apart not so that they might suffer, but so that in the way that they chose to live differently from every nation around them, the nations around them would begin to see that their God was wholly different, completely different from the the little gods and the idols that they pursued and that they chased, and the people of God grew weary in doing that, much like many of us do, because we, we We reach for these promises that the world offers us of an immediate satisfaction, an immediate fulfillment. We grow weary of following in the way, uh, as, as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. And because God cannot contend with rebellion, because God longs to be glorified, because God will be glorified when all is said and done, he gives, through the prophet Isaiah, this promise that trouble is going to come. That the people of God are going to feel the sting of their rebellion. That God, because he loves them, will discipline them. And in that discipline, he is going to send the nation Assyria. And this is a kingdom that has been rolling through this part of the world. And, and the people of God hear that Assyria is coming. That it is knocking on the door. Now try to place uh, yourselves in, in that situation. And imagine what it would feel like to have this promise of this, this world power at the time that is going to come. And that is going to bring devastation on your kingdom and on your way of life. It is natural for the people of God to have worry and to have fear and to be concerned. And even those who lived faithfully, and and maybe that's some of you, you feel like, look, I'm not perfect. There's one who's perfect and his name is Jesus, but I try really hard to live in a way that is reflective of what God says is his best for me. And, and, and maybe you feel like you spend so much of your time saying to the people around you who, you know, when they walk into the proverbial room, you want to say to them, look, don't touch anything. Everything is so precarious right now. You touch something, you say the wrong thing, you're just going to mess it all up for the rest of us. There were those in, 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 um, in Israel, in, in Judah, in Jerusalem at the time who, who may have felt that way and felt because of the rebellion of their brothers and sisters They found themselves in the face of this coming terror. And and maybe many of you feel that way too. You're not necessarily affected by decisions that you've made in your life. You are affected by the decisions of people around you. And so this is the word that has come to the people of God. And yet into this state of worry, into this state of fear, into this fear of the unknown and into the turmoil that exists in our hearts when we feel like trouble is coming and trouble is all around us. There is a promise that is given. There is a word of hope that pierces the darkness with good news. Before we can truly appreciate this word that Isaiah has given here, it's important for us to understand the gift that, that sense of trouble and worry and fear the gift that in the hands of God those things can be to us. Because they reveal to us that things aren't as they should be. They reveal to us that there is a longing within each of us for something more. And if we are willing, and if we pay attention, they will reveal to us that there is actually a kingdom that we long for that is better than one in which we are living. And there is a king that we are longing for that is stronger than the kings that we try to prop up in our lives to protect some way of life that we think we ought to be able to live. Advent is an opportunity for us to face, come face to face with the myriad of ways that we are so short-sighted in our longings. To come face to face with the fact that we might just in this season lift our eyes above the fray. To lift our eyes above the veil and see that there is a promise that is worth living for. That er, there is a promise that is worth leaning into. And that all of our desires on this earth are short-sighted. That we are selling short what God longs to do for us. What God has promised to do for us in the person of Jesus. God allows us, yes, to feel the weight of this turmoil the weight of of pain, as the prophet Isaiah names, the weight in verse 3 of having feeble hands and weak knees, that when we experience fear and turmoil for too long, we find that it affects our ability even to function. And yet, in this place of weakness, a word comes. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution he will come to save you your God will come your God will come and deal with the enemies that are set against you and this is comforting news until we realize that in our rebellion we have actually placed ourselves in the company of the enemies of God and so we find ourselves living in this tension and that's why we we tend to hear God the God that we read about in the Old Testament as being described as the God of the Old Testament Because we don't know what to do with the vengeance and we don't know what to do with the God who brings war against kingdoms that are rebellious. And so we tend to classify that as being a separate God than the Jesus who is welcoming and the Jesus who comes to the broken and the downtrodden. And yet, friends, there is one God. Scripture is clear, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we have to understand is that Yes, God comes in vengeance against all that is evil and all that is broken, but he does so as Savior. And in a couple weeks, we will gather together and celebrate the birth of this child into the world. And we will have an opportunity to recommit our lives to the hope that is made possible by the entrance of this child into this dark world in which we live. But I invite you, To not stop there, but to remember the man that that child will come and to remember the person of Jesus and to remember that every life that Jesus touched, wherever there was blindness, people were able to see again. Those who were mute began to shout for joy. Those who were lame began to leap for joy as this oracle tells us will happen those who were covered in the shame of their own guilt were told that they were forgiven, were told that their identity was not wrapped up in the things that they had done, in the ways that they had failed, and they were told instead to go and to live a new life. That where Jesus was present, the kingdom of God reigned, and where the kingdom of God reigns, everything flourishes. There is life when it seems like life is impossible. That in the desert places, water springs up from the ground. When there there only seems to be destitution, life is breaking forth. We continue, however, to live in the reality of this now and not yet. And yet, I would invite us to consider that maybe the better way to think about that is not necessarily now and not yet, but instead to begin to say now and not quite Because the kingdom has come. And God in his faithfulness will bring it to its fulfillment. Something has already begun to happen. Do we see it? Are we willing to give ourselves over to the joy that is made possible? Because we find ourselves in the reality of the sadness that still exists in the world. Maybe this quote, from the brave Samwise Gamgee at the end of Tolkien's The Return of the King helps us name the way that we feel. This is after Sam has been a part of defeating the one ring. Ben, you could probably quote this verbatim, but I have to write it down because I don't want to mess it up. But Sam lay back and stared with open mouth and for a moment between bewilderment and great joy he could not answer. At last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought... I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Because the reality is that we live in this age where sadness and despair are still very much a part of the fabric of our everyday lives. Very much a part of the fabric of the landscape in which we live and seek to be faithful as God's people. We are invited to remember that where the kingdom broke in, in the person of Jesus, things flourished. Life began to break forth where it seemed like life was impossible. We long to hear Gandalf's response to those words. When Sam asked, what has happened to the world? He responds, a great shadow has departed. And then Gandalf laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. Isaiah tells us that a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be the way for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I want to close with this thought. It's wondered by commentators what Isaiah is describing here. Is he describing the three times a year that the people of God will journey to Jerusalem for their pilgrimage festivals and the joy that comes with that? Is Isaiah describing the coming kingdom that will be inaugurated when Jesus enters this world? Is Isaiah describing the time when all will be said and done and God will return to make make His home with humanity? And I want to offer a very simple and yet helpful answer to that, those questions, and the answer is simply yes. Isaiah is describing perhaps all of those things, and it reminds us that on this earth we are given glimpses. We are given these moments, these pictures where, as the Celtic Christians say, the veil seems awfully thin between, between what it is, what is, and what will be. And we are invited to cling to those moments, and we are invited to allow the joy of the hope of the season of Advent, the arrival of Jesus, to overwhelm us, that even in the face of darkness, even in the face of fear, ours might be a song of hope for the world around us. It doesn't mean that we ignore the sadness that exists. It means that we name it, and it means that we turn to the hope that we have in the face of it. And we offer those around us who are dealing with fear and sadness and unknown into it. Friends, this is the good news of the season of Advent. Isaiah names for us what is, but he tells us of what will be. May we run to that. May we hear that invitation home. And may we process together with the saints with songs of gladness and joy that this world cannot extinguish. Amen.